0: This time in the Planet Earth podcast, understanding evolutionary change with the British peppered moth. I'm Sue Nelson, and I'm at the Institute of Integrative Biology at the University of Liverpool, and I'm in the Evolutionary and Ecology Lab with Dr Ilik Sekiri. and we're in front of a bench there are some large refrigerators at the side of us that's that's whirring sound you can hear there are pictures of different types of moths stuck above the bench with the usual test tubes and equipment and bottles and we're by what looks like the sort of fridge you'd have in your house now not one of those big fridges so why have you got some moths inside this fridge
1: Well, these uh, peppered moths, they rest during the daytime and uh, they don't actually feed as adults. They only feed during the larval stage. They overwinter as pupae. They emerge around now. This is about the peak of the flight season in the wild. And so when we breed them or when we catch them in the wild, if we want to extend their life, then we refrigerate them and they're perfectly happy at four or five degrees and they just live longer that way. So that's why we kind of... Keep them in the fridge.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's uh, get them out.
1: So what I'm taking out here is two specimens of typical moths. So we have different uh, morphs: the light-coloured form, as well as a melanic form here.
0: Hold on. Now we've got three little boxes. They're little cardboard boxes with netting at the top, so we can see through a little moth with its wings open in each of them.
1: The typical form looks like this
0: taking it out there and this is white you can see why it's called peppered now it looks like somebody sprinkled ground black pepper on a piece of white paper that's the best way very pretty actually
1: and so this is a a male it actually comes from a place on the Wirral not far from Liverpool they have what is known as pectinate antennae I don't know if you can see there if you look closely there's a There's kind of like a moustache, a very long (laughs) moustache, with a a central rib, and then the fuzz that you can see around that is actually very, very fine hairs coming off that central mid-rib, and they're designed to pick up single molecules.
0: It's not very big, because some moths you can get are absolutely huge. This is mm, probably half the size of the length of my little finger, about one and a half widths of a two-pence piece.
1: Most moths have... This feature of staying quite flat against the surface that they're resting on, that is for concealment, so they they try and blend in with the background that they're resting on because during the daytime they're just basically just waiting for night
0: and just hoping that something doesn't find them and eat them. (laughs) And in the other one, one of the other two you've got, the colouring is very different. There's no speckling, there's no peppering of the peppered moths. Name it, It's almost black. And this is one of the reasons they're called Darwin's moths, isn't it? Because of this history that goes back to the Industrial Revolution. That's right.
1: And the black coloured form was unknown until the first record in 1848 in Greater Manchester. The heavy use of coal during the Industrial period, the 1800s and uh, through pretty much to the 60s and 70s, where two clean air acts were brought in precisely to control the smogs. They led to a blackening of the surfaces across very large parts of industrial Britain, be they trees or be they buildings, all the surfaces that these moths rest on. This would have led to a much stronger selection against these light-colored forms resting on the dark background.
0: So basically, during the Industrial Revolution, when they had these predominantly white peppered moths, they will have just been easy prey because you put them against a the black, sooty bark yes. or what have you. Their prey can see them. Yes. What happened then? Did you, did you, there was a sort of an anomaly, a genetic anomaly, with and there was one all-black peppered moth and then that thrived because no-one could see it against the soot? Well,
1: that was the hypothesis that we started out with, but it wasn't really until we determined the underlying genetics, which was only done very recently by our group, that we could actually specifically say, yes, there was a single mutation, and it did happen around this time. This mutation was actually contemporary of... Uh, the time when Darwin was alive and and working, but he didn't know about this particular example of of evolution and natural selection.
0: So how did you do that then? How did you discover on a chromosomal level that there was this change and and then going back to find out where it all originated from?
1: We did it using a method known as linkage mapping, so where you can cross a light-coloured male with a, a dark-coloured female or vice versa. In fact, in Lepidoptera, they, they're quite unusual in that recombination only happens in males, so only in the production of sperm do you get crossing over between homologous chromosomes. Females just pass their whole chromosomes on to their offspring.
0: And where is all this analysis done?
1: We do it um, in different parts. We do it in the molecular genetics lab here, mostly using uh, various types of sequencing technologies. The main person who's been uh, involved in that over many years is my collaborator, Dr. Arjen van Hof, who uh, is actually in the lab at the moment, probably working on something to do with this system.
0: All right. Well, I think mm-hmm. then we'll, we'll go and pop along and see him. Marianne, sorry to interrupt your work, but perhaps you could explain to me which chromosome did you find was responsible for these two different forms of the peppered moth?
2: So yes, there are two different forms, the melanic form and the typical form. The melanic form is dominant, so if an individual has got one chromosome with the typical and one chromosome with a melanic, then it will be a black one. In the offspring of such an individual, half of the offspring will get the typical chromosome, and the other half will get the melanic chromosome. And by looking at these offspring and comparing it to the father, in this case, we can trace back which chromosome does have this mutation on it.
0: And is there a specific number chromosome that has it?
2: Chromosome number 17, so there are 31 chromosomes in our species, and it's on the chromosome number 17
0: is chromosome number 17 only responsible for wing colour or does it have other effects too on the moth? Not
2: visual characteristics as such. So we don't know there's loads and loads of genes on, on that chromosome. I think about 12 megabase in size. Wow. So only a very small region of that chromosome is actually involved in the melanization. So after finding this chromosome, we've done several steps of narrowing down to the region on this chromosome that contained this uh, mutation that's causing the melanisation.
0: At the moment are there more black versions of the peppered moth than white versions in the wild?
1: No the uh, melanic which in the UK is known as uh, carbonara is virtually uh, extinct in the wild in the UK now so it went through a rise from this first um, record in 1848 it rose in the kind of greater Manchester area and, and in sort of the industrial heartlands of, of Yorkshire and Merseyside to close to 100% really. It, it almost completely replaced what we known as call the wild type so the original type which was the typical form and stayed at that very high frequency all the way till the early 70s when as I said before these clean air Acts were brought in and quite quickly the coal pollution reduced and over a period of time the resting surfaces also changed and became less dark.
0: Ariane, do you have comparisons where you can compare the current modern specimens of moth with ones from the period of the Industrial Revolution?
2: We've done a small pilot uh, looking at a few few samples that were uh, 100 years old to see if we can still get DNA out of it that we can use to find the sequence in and that was successful so now we're going to try and do this on a much larger scale so we've collected museum specimens and we're going to compare that to the modern situation to see if the gene is indeed the same which will be but also how this selection affected the region around the mutation. So there's usually a footprint around such a mutation on the chromosome that you can trace back in time and which narrows down over time.
0: So thank goodness then for Victorian gentlemen collectors, basically. Absolutely. Dr. Ilik Sakiri and Dr. Ariane Hoff. thank you both very much indeed. And that's the Planet Earth podcast from the Natural Environment Research Council. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where we'll post some of the photographs that were taken today. I'm Sue Nelson. Thanks for listening.